our prayer tonight. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, it is well. It is well. God, no matter what's going on around us, Lord, you know what? The wind and seas, they still obey. They know Your name tonight. God, whatever the circumstance in our life is tonight, God, You know. And God, You are still on the throne. Lord, we just praise You and we thank You for that tonight. God, we belong to You. God, we're not our own. Your Word declares that we're not our own any longer. I am a slave to Christ. I am a slave to righteousness. I belong to Jesus. I have been set apart and sanctified. I am no longer my own. When I gave my life up, when I gave, I surrendered to Him, He took control. And Lord, we thank You for that tonight. We praise You, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hmm. Are you well? <laughs> Amen, huh? Several weeks back, I, I talked about God's Word and how um, power and authority are found in God's Word. But several weeks before that, I started a series and I stopped at number three on taking your city for Christ. But tonight, I want to finish up a little bit with Hezekiah and what happened in his life. I know you guys say, man, I have, I've learned more about Hezekiah than I ever even thought I wanted to. But you know what? He's in, he's in like three books in the Old Testament. Chronicles, Kings, and, and, and Isaiah. So he's somewhat important. So, but what I want you to see tonight is, I saw this and the Lord showed me this a long time ago about a roadblock to transformation. And this roadblock happened in Hezekiah's life. If you want to live in the place where God's power is poured out, you will be sifted. If you want to walk in authority, you will be tested. If you want to have all the experience and know Christ, you are going to be tried. The blessing of God will, will not always make our life easy. The anointing of God will actually make us a target for the enemy. Satan will oppose those whom God has anointed. As we remain in Him and He in us, our residing in this place puts a target on our backs. Our commitment to warfare, our commitment to being a warrior, our commitment to walking in the Spirit, all these things put a target, a big X on our backs. Then the enemy says, that's the one I'm going for. Now, if you want to walk in that, I am telling you right now, you are going to be hit with everything the devil can throw at you. If you want to be on a cruise ship in safe, calm waters, then you will never have to worry about that. You're just going to go through life. You may have some problems. Some things may happen to you. But you know what? If you want to be on a battleship... If you want to be on a battleship, then you know what? God is saying, listen, it's going to cost you something. And you know what? God is enlisting an army right here in Springville. You know, some of you guys were not wise by man's standards. Some of you were not the, 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 the most beautiful by human standards. And I'm pointing at myself first, okay? Some of us... We're not, we're not looked upon by the world and said, well, those guys got it all together. But you know what? Jesus said this, I chose the lowly. I chose the weak. I chose the, the things that were humble. Those things I have chosen to do works amongst you. 
So if you want to walk in that, then what I'm telling you tonight is that anointing of God is obvious to the enemy. See, the enemy, he was once an anointed cherubim. So he understands what that anointing looks like. It's familiar to him. When he smells it, when he sees it upon us, he knows we become a target for him. Many people go through this life. They want the easy life. They want no stress. They want no challenges. They want no confrontation. When we choose to go against the flow of the world, there is always a wake in our path. See, if you just go out and you stand in the river... I'm going to use the Kern River because we don't have much of a river out here right now. But the Kern River is still flowing a little bit. But if you try to go out there and you stand in it, let's say it's up to here on you. What happens when you stand there is all of a sudden behind you, there's turbulence and there's a wake that follows that. Just by standing. See, God, He tells us in His Word, He says, when you've done all you can do, then stand. Some of you tonight, maybe all you can do is stand. And that's okay. Because you know what? God's saying this, listen, you go stand. Because there's going to be a wake behind you. There is going to be a wake in the path behind you. As you put your feet in that, uh, on, that, on, that, on the, the ground of that water, you're going to all of a sudden, there's going to be turbulence is going to find its way around you. The, the, the current is going to try to push you back. But you stand. And when we stand, there is something that happens. There is a wake behind us. The life of Hezekiah. When, he talked to, when we talked to the first part about taking a city for Christ, we saw all these things that he did right. He tore down all the high places. Remember that? Remember, he instituted worship back in the temple. He cleansed the temple for 16 days. He did all these things to get everything instituted back to where God wanted it to be. But we also see, I saw this as I was reading through it, and I thought, Lord, how could a man be so anointed, so going the right direction, and so miss it in this area? In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24, it says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown to him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was upon him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Now I want you to take close attention. It was on him, it was on his city, and it was on his region. See, when, when a man of God is not in right standing with the Lord when he's walking in pride or whatever he's walking in, sin, open sin, concealed sin, there is a sin that is imparted on the people. That's why it's so important for us to make sure we find the right place, that we get into the right place. Where, you know what? Where God's power is moving, where we see the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we see godliness demonstrated before us. Because here's what it says. It says... The sins of Hezekiah were passed down upon his city and upon the region around him. Let me say a word about healing before I... I mean, this is a side note, okay? In the Old Testament, we sometimes see a direct correlation between the circumstance and our relationship to God. See, that's what we see here with Hezekiah. His sin caused him to be ill. But I want you to understand that... That is not always the case. There's exceptions. Look at Job. 
Job had all this stuff placed upon him. Boils, everything he had was gone. His family, everything that he could, he could, he could have around him was, was taken away from him. But the Bible says that Job was a righteous man. So what I want us to understand tonight is that our present circumstance does not dictate who we are in Christ. Your present healing or lack of healing is not always based upon your faith or your lack of faith. God healed through the faith of the person who asked. God healed through the, 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 an intermediary. Remember the, the centurion who came and says, if you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. Remember there was a person standing in between. And then on, 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 and other times, God just heals right through the person. Sometimes healings takes time. Twelve years for the woman who touched the hem of his garment. Some only saw the outcome of healing in their death. Because you are sick does not necessarily mean there is sin in your life. Remember John 9, it says, Remember the man born blind. The people ask, Who sinned? And Jesus said, No one, but the works of God may be displayed. See, all these things I just told you are, there's no hard and fast rule. If you see someone sick, that doesn't mean they're in sin. If you see someone sick, it doesn't mean they lack faith. However, all these things may be true. It may be sin in your life that's causing you to be sick. It may be a spiritual condition that is causing you to walk not where you're, not, you're supposed to be with God. It may be lack of faith. It may be because of a sinful life and the consequences of sin. If you smoked for 30 years and then you all of a sudden you got saved and then you decided, well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit smoking and you did, but then all of a sudden you had cancer in your lungs. See, sometimes the consequences of our lifestyle, those of you who have come out of the life of meth, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, your teeth are not as good as you want them to be. Sometimes we have to walk in, in sexual diseases because of things that we did in our past. So there's consequences to our sin when we walk in that. But what I want you to understand tonight, there is no hard and fast rule that if you see this, okay, well that's sin. Oh, if you see this over here, that's lack of faith. It doesn't work that way. I wish it was that simple. But I'll tell you this, the New Testament doesn't show us that, that demonstration. And really, neither does the Old Testament, because Job is that one that stands alone in the midst of that and says, he was a righteous man, and he was still afflicted. Our lives are based upon seasons. Sometimes we are in a season that God allows us to go through to test us, to sift us, to see if we are really in Him. Are you sick? Are you afflicted by the enemy? Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. The first thing I always do, if there's something comes upon me or there's something that, that happens in my life, I say, God, what's going on here? Have I, have I missed it someplace right here? Is my heart not where it needs to be? Is there sin in my life? I have to, I, if, if we don't ask that, we're foolish. Because the very thing we're going through, maybe God's saying, listen, there's something right here you need to get rid of. We may have pride because we believe we have the true gospel. 
We maybe feel like we're superior to others. Maybe we're wealthy. Maybe we have a, a vast knowledge. Maybe it's our rank, our position, our health, our family, our generations before us, the pride that we walk in with that. How we have stewarded our money even. See, or is it just sometimes our pride wells up just because of the foolishness we see around us? See, pride is the armor of the enemy. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I can do. The I is right in the middle of pride. Lack of patience with people is pride. Lack of vulnerability is pride. When we talk about the armor of God, the armor of the enemy is pride. The greatest defense against the enemy in this area is to maintain an open heart towards God. The Holy Spirit asks us for repentance. He gives us that choice. We can repent and close the door on the enemy, or we can do this. I read this story about this. Or we can let the little lawyer inside of us, all of us have one, the little lawyer step up and he steps out and he pleads our case. See, Greg's not so bad. He's our defense attorney. He will defend you till the day you die. See, he says, listen... You just don't understand. He's, he's just struggling with this. Or, oh, you know, you know what? He's not, he's not as bad as it looks. He, he's a good guy. For us to succeed in warfare and being a mighty warrior of God, the self-preservation instinct must be submitted to Christ. Christ alone is our advocate. See, sometimes that little voice that we hear in our, in our, in our heart that's defending us, I've heard this a lot this week from people. That little voice that's speaking is not the advocate of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's that little defense attorney. It's that little lawyer. He wants to speak up. The, atti- the attitude of preserving ourselves is at odds with God. He tells us to die to ourselves, to crucify our flesh. God opposes the proud. God cannot entrust, I want you to listen to this, God cannot entrust His kingdom to anyone who has not been broken of the spirit of pride. I'm going to go on with the story of Hezekiah. I started that first part in Chronicles, but and then it picks it up in Kings. I'll tell you, the story of, of Hezekiah kind of jumps around a little bit because Chronicles talks about it and then he stops, and then all of a sudden we pick it up here in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12, and it says, At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received... One translation says he listened, he welcomed the envoys and showed them all what was in his storehouse. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory, and everything he found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to the king and said, What did those men say? You can go ahead and the next one. What did, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon, the prophet asked. What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace. Hezekiah said, there's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. It was shortly after that that Babylon 
came and took all those treasures. Everything that he displayed to the enemy became the enemy's. Everything we display in pride becomes the enemy's. Everything we put out there, it becomes his. See, if, even if we want to do it for the right reasons, if we do it with a prideful heart, the enemy has grabbed it up. And look what Hezekiah does. It says, he welcomed them. See, when we welcome the enemy, we're welcoming pride. Pride welcomes the enemy. Pride wants to display everything we have, all we've accomplished, all we can do, everything I am. There's a couple of things from Francis Frank Payne says this, the devil cannot traffic in areas of darkness, even can traffic can traffic in, in areas of darkness, even darkness that exists in the human heart. Satan's domain is darkness. God's is light. In the areas of darkness of our hearts, Satan has legal access to our lives. Satan will not continue to assault you if the circumstances that he designed to destroy you are now working to perfect you. So you know what? You want, to, you want the release of the enemy in an area? Let it begin to perfect you. You know what? You want a release of something that the, the enemy has placed on your life? Let that begin to perfect you. You know what? The enemy's going to go, well, pff, pull that off of him. And that's not working. I thought that was going to get him down. All it did was make him praise more. I put that sickness on him because I thought that would put him down. No, you know what? It just made him pray more. See, when my wife was going through the, that illness those four years when we first got here, see, that the enemy designed to tear us down. She was ready to give up on life. She wanted to quit. I'm done. I kept praying. It was that that caused me to get on my knees. And eventually, I can't say that it happened overnight, but eventually the enemy said, this thing that I designed to, to, to kill him is making him stronger. He's building spiritual muscles. See, areas we hide in darkness will ultimately be the areas of our future defeat. Victory begins with Jesus on our lips, but it will not be consummated until the nature of Jesus is in our hearts. The anointing of God is going to make us a target. The enemy's tripwire is pride. This is how he fell. Pride entered his heart. Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings, he did all these mighty things. 185,000 Assyrians struck down. Yet he was vulnerable in this area. Hezekiah had to be put on the threshing floor. The threshing floor in the Old Testament always represented the place between where God and man meet. God's threshing floor is where the wheat was trampled out on the floor and then the husks were thrown away. I had read this scripture in Luke 22 verse 31. Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. The New American Standard Bible says it like this, and it's probably a little closer to what the Greek says. It says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you. The Greek word there means to request a full handing over. 
And it wasn't just for Simon. It was for the plural. It says, all of you. See, sifting looks like this. Sifting, beating it out of us so that the wheat can be separated from the chaff. See, Satan seeks to sift only those who threaten his work. He goes after the tree with the most potential to bear fruit. If you're not being sifted, it's probably because there's no fruit on your vines. If you're not being sifted, it's probably because you're not a threat to the enemy. Some of you are being sifted to bring you into the kingdom of God. God is beckoning you. He's allowing things to go in your life because He's wanting you to cry out, to call out for God. His sifting will play an important role in God's church in the last days. God is doing a new thing once again in this last generation. And you have been set apart by Him to be a powerful witness to many. He has set you free and He's preparing you for His eternal purposes. And the greater gifts, the greater potential, the greater surrender to the will of God, the more severe your sifting is going to be. I think it's interesting that Peter was the one he pointed this out to. So Peter, Peter, he says, the enemy desires to sift you. Now, this was the man that was going to be the rock, the church. See, he represented even back then what God is going to do today. He's going to sift us. If we really want to know Him, He's going to sift us. We're going to be tested. There's going to be trials. I want you to think about this. Jesus is talking to His disciples here. I want you to picture this setting. The Passover is when He's talking to them. The Last Supper. It's a solemn occasion. Jesus ends His time with them telling Him, saying... Someone's going to betray me. They all begin to look at one another. Could it be me? Could it be you? Who is it? And I, it's so, this is how we are. This is, it shows that we're, if we're disciples, this is how we operate. Look at this. In verse 24, right after he says all this, he says, Then a dispute, among arose, a, a dispute also arose among them as to which one would be the greatest. <laughs> one of you guys is going to betray me. What about me? I'm going to be good. I'm going to be great in the king. See, that's that little lawyer speaking up. Here, we, here he is. He's, he's getting ready to die. 
This is a solemn place. He's celebrating his last meal with them. And in the midst of that, they're debating, hey, who's the greatest? Didn't I just tell you that one of you guys is gonna, you're going you're gonna to betray me? I would imagine it was probably Peter, the, the water walker. <laughs> the one who just... Some people say that Peter denied Christ because he was fearful, but I don't see that because you look at... Just, just right after this, just a several hours after this, he takes a sword and he slices off the high priest's servant, Malchus. He slices off his ear. He's ready to go to battle for Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. You're going to be sifted. This is the one whom Christ would build His church. Pride could have no place in the rock. Pride can have no place in the church. Jesus would build His church. The area that remains today is pride in our churches. The problem began in the church and it is still... Peter's and the church are synonymous. Hebrews 12.27 says that everything will be shaken. It's going to start with us. That sifting process. I want you guys to know right now, it's starting with us. Some of you guys are already in it. And it's not comfortable. Some of me are in it. And I don't like it. Tonight, as I talk about this area of pride, I'm not pointing my fingers at you. I want you to know that. I'm pointing my fingers at me. God, remove this area of my life. As humble as I try to be at times, Lord, I know that it rises up within me. God, let not pride be the thing that goes before me because pride goes before the fall, the Bible says. Sifting is painful. Sifting is, pound, is pounding. Sifting is purposeful. Sifting is powerful. See, you see that transformation? It starts out as painful. It's pounding. And then it turns to powerful in our lives. It builds up those spiritual muscles. Luke says in 22.31, it says, But Jesus says this, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When he says there, he says, Simon, that your faith may not fail, it means to die or to cease. I pray that your faith is not going to cease. Because then he says... I want you to come back. Once you've turned back to me, I want you to strengthen. Remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about in Luke 9.51 where it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem? That word strengthen is the same word as that's used there. Setting his face. So he's saying here tonight, when you come back, you're going to set your face. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be built up. You're going to be a strengthening to your brothers. See, I, when I read this thing the first time, I've, and we've probably all read it, this whole sifting process. The devil demands, he, he wants you and he's going to sift you. But the, 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 the Greek is actually saying, I'm, you're going to be handed over to him. You're going to be handed over to the enemy to be tested and to be tried. But I'm praying for you. See, think about this. Jesus, when we're sifted, some of you guys right now, you're in the sifting right now. I know it. Ooh, and it's, a, it's not comfortable, is it? Sifting. God's sifting us. But He's saying, listen, 
You know what? I could pray for you and that'd be good. But Jesus is praying for you when you're sifted. When you're being sifted, Jesus is making intercession on your behalf. I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm praying for you, disciples. I'm praying for you, men and women that are going to become warriors and battlers. I am praying for you. Ooh, I don't know. That just, I'm, that just something to me. Jesus is praying for us. I, I remember when I first got into ministry, I, I, I thought I knew a lot. And uh, it really is over the years that God humbles you. He uh, sometimes even humiliates you. Uh, but it's all for a good cause. It's all about building you up. And so some of those difficult times and some of those struggles and tears and everything else really help you become who you need to be. And I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't realize that going in. And so when it gets really awful, that's when they want to quit, not realizing that's exactly what God's wanting um, so that you can come out of it as a more powerful, more useful minister. The theme of Sifted is um, so huge to me because... God is so true when he's, He talks about how he, humb, he, he humbles those who are proud and He exalts those who really humble themselves. And I've just seen some supernatural things over the years. God's blessing like just poured out on someone as a result of that, that type of humility that the Holy Spirit did in that person's life. And then the other side is I've seen a lot of pain of people that have gotten angry at God and or angry at spiritual leaders who are trying to help them out. And you just see this bitterness grow, even though they say it's not there or whatever, but it affects everything, not just these blessings of God, but you can see it on their faces, their, their countenance changes. It's amazing what God can do when a, a person is broken and, and humbled and, uh, and the change that the Holy Spirit can, can uh, place on that person's life. But on the flip side, it's also very scary and sad what he does with those who are proud. The general rule of my life is, Jesus, I really want to be like you, and I know I cannot be like you unless I go through some of these difficult times, unless I am tried. And it might be a little difficult to hear some of these things, and uh, we may have to deal with some issues, but we believe when we come out the other side, we're going to be that much closer to the Lord and that much more effective for ministry. The sifting process. 2 Chronicles 32.26 says, Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. James 4.6 says, But he gives, gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit to God then we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. See, he's talking to believers there. He's saying, listen, you want to resist the devil? The first problem is you've got to quit resisting God. Submit to God, then you can resist the devil. See, we like to throw that resisting part out there, but we don't want to do the other half. It's like that, that, the scripture that says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But then it goes on to say, but 
It's to those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So we love to throw these scriptures out that make us feel good when we get part of it. He's saying to us, listen, you want to resist the devil? Submit to me. Once we've submitted to God, then we can resist the devil. Pride is the escort to hell. Pride tries to preserve itself. Pride tries to protect, protect itself. The attorney within us always wants to plead our case. Pride defies God. Pride defiles man. It divides each other. It dishonors one another. It destroys ourself and others. In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible says that there are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to Him. He doesn't mention adultery. He doesn't mention drunkardness. He doesn't mention crowsing or partying. He says the proud look. See, the enemy hates virtue. He hates truth. He despises brokenness. He cringes at humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Jesus is praying for you. See, Satan is praying upon you, but Jesus is praying for you. Tonight, as we close... Listen, the very thing that you may be going through today, might have been the enemy going to the Lord and saying, listen, I want permission to sift this group. This Ignite group has caught my attention because they are just hungry for God. Let me sift them. It's not easy. It's difficult. And I'm not going to tell you that the sifting that you're going through is maybe to tear out pride, but it might be. The very thing that God's doing in us right now may be something because He wants to rid us from something in our lives. He wants to cleanse us from something. He wants us to, to, to get closer to Him. That very thing. We, I think we should always, no matter what the circumstance... Ask that of the Holy Spirit. Ask that of the Lord. Lord, am I going through this? Because I need it. Am I going through this so that you're trying to transform me? Or is it just a part of life? Sometimes a toothache is that. Just a part of life. But there are times when the the enemy is using everything he can to sift us. Tonight as we close, these two songs talk about that. How long is it going to be before I'm like you, Lord? Because that's our ultimate goal. God, I want to be like you. Make me more like you. Make me look like you. Let me act like you. Change my disposition. Transform me. Make me more like you, Jesus. Because everything that doesn't lead us to that place is foolishness. That's the ultimate goal. This sifting is to bring us closer to Christ. This sifting is to make us look more like Him. I want to look like Him. The second song we're going to play out at this is just says, Tear it out of me, God. Tear, tear it out of me, God. I want it to be gone. So as we close with these two worship songs, you can... I don't know, maybe if the Lord has just... If He's speaking to your heart tonight, if there's something there... Lord, I want to be right with you. 
I'm going to open up this altar. You, you guys know. You know what? I'm going to come. Come. If this is where God's calling us tonight, He's calling me right here tonight. I want you to know that. This is where I belong. I want to be more like Him. I want to, be, I want to look like Him. I want to be like Him. See, it can't just be on my lips. It's got to be consummated in my heart. That's where the change is. I can give lip service. I have to have it in here.